Cincinnati jersey All on the block, we get it in I'm in my Cincinnati Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined, as always, by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? You know what they say, if you ain't first, you're last. Well, even though we're in second place in the conference, it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Hummer, it's great to talk to you after a week of basketball. That left us in a state of euphoria. The Bearcats played two games over the last week. First, they hosted Tulsa, in which a game, a game in which got off to a slow start in the first half. We took a four-point lead into halftime and actually closed that game in the second half, 49-22, beating Tulsa overall 75-44, a thorough and comprehensive beatdown of Tulsa really impressive performance wouldn't you say I would split the game in two when I say uh, impressive performance I'm not going to give the whole thing you know an a plus rating Um, the first half of that game was was pretty ugly the cats came out I think a little flat but that second half was was definitely what we have been waiting for this whole season I know we've we've said there's been games that were fantastic you know, when we go back and we look at the Tennessee game, when we look at the UConn game, but man, was that second half just just almost something special is what I want to call it. Watching the Cumberlands play basketball, like they were just playing outside, uh, two kids playing basketball, and just the way they fed off one another was what we've, I think, been hoping for this whole season to see that type of chemistry. There was a lot of freedom and just and just fun and exuberance in the style of play that we had in the second half. And we actually held Tulsa to 0 for 17 from three-point land. I would not I would say most of that is it can, you can attribute to the defensive performance of the Bearcats, but some of that is just, you know, sheer luck. Uh, I, I personally haven't seen a, a team, a college team at this level, shoot 0% from three-point land. Nonetheless, um, it really was one of the a, a beacon of light after, after a tough game against Tulane last week. The Bearcats bounced back extremely well. And we've talked about on the podcast throughout the season so far, the second half has been our nemesis. We've had a lot of inconsistent performances in the second half. We've had games where we've blown leads in the last few minutes. And so typically with the Bearcats, you like to think we're going to come out and we're going to blast the team in the second half. This is a case where we actually did that, where there was no, there was no wavering in the, in the style of play. There was no wavering in the, in the quality, and we were able to step on the throat of, a, of an inferior opponent, someone we should be beating fairly easily on our home court. Yeah, it's something else I'll point out too, and in, in whether this is an important eyeball test or, or what, I don't, I don't really care. I'm going to say it anyway. Something that's been really impressive to me over the last two games is seeing Javen Cumberland, after he misses a three-pointer, when he get, if, the, if we get the offensive rebound and they kick the ball back to him, it's almost automatic. Go to Vegas and put your paycheck on that next shot going in. He's I love his confidence in, in just taking that extra, that second shot, and and still making it. Um, it's it seems like he's starting to get a little more confidence in his in his game right now, which is which is perfect because we're heading into the meat of meat of the conference schedule. We're we're really going to get some challenges coming up here. Uh, but I thought that was just incredible uh, to see him doing that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, he needed he needed a bounce-back game, right? Against Tulane, he shot 12 three-pointers, only made two of them. And people started wondering, you know, is he is he 
is he as good of a shooter as advertised? Can he make the three-point shot at the biggest moments? Or is he someone who kind of stacks on stats in garbage time? Clearly against Tulsa, uh, he put he put the finishing touches on them. And then as we'll get to here in the Central Florida game, he hit some even more critical shots at, and late in that game as well. So Javon Cumberland, it was definitely a bounce-back week for him after a really tough game against Tulane. Um, but Hummer, let me make a quick mention of that. Let's let's talk about the UCF performance. Before we get into more of the comprehensive, the the big picture here about players, what we're seeing, what we like, what we maybe don't like, what we have questions about. But the Bearcats did move on to play at Central Florida. We all know John Brandon had yet to get a road win in his in his early in the early stages of his Bearcat coaching career. And we went into halftime against Central Florida. Like the Tulsa game, not an incredibly impressive first half performance. In fact, I'd call it um, it was it was a worrying first half performance. Uh, the energy level seemed down. The players seemed a little bit unsure. They, there was a lot of, uh, I think you even mentioned it. There was some whining and just too much concern about what the referees whining. were doing. It was like a whining half to me. Like everything, oh woe is me, is the world. Uh, that's that's kind of what I was I was trying to get in the vibe of that first half. And and Dan Horde made mention of it too. And for those of you guys who don't know out there, there's a nice little trick when you have Hulu or uh, some sort of digital platform to watch the games on, you can push pause, start your iHeartRadio app, and let and let the, the, the announcers catch up to the game, and you will have Dan Horde calling the game live, synced up with your Hulu. It is amazing. That's a great hack. <laughs> Dan Horde was just talking about how they, 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 looked, they were whining, they were looking after every shot, turning back to the officiator, officiators, officials. the officials looking for a call. And being upset and looking upset when they didn't get one. Um, he was talking about how they seem to be unaware of the situation of what's going on. We had a very, I think we had an inbound play with like six seconds left on the clock. And Javen literally just dribbled the ball out and didn't, and didn't even put a shot up. Um, you know, stuff like that, the mental breakdowns that were happening in the first half. And, and then on the, on the flip side, they're also talking about it seems that when the Bearcats get adversity early on that it, it just beats them down it beats them down and it's, and it's hard for them to work out of the hole and that's one thing that brandon does appear to do is let his guys work their way out of these holes he's not going to try and do that for them yeah you know, he wants them to be able to work through that adversity he wants to be that leader that says hey this is how you do it go do it and they did work their way through the adversity of that first half because in the second half they came out like gangbusters played even more suffocating defense on central florida and the offense kicked into gear. Uh, more, more specifically, I'd say Jaron Cumberland, his point guard, kicked into gear. He didn't necessarily have a great scoring game, but his effect on the game from, from a distribution standpoint, from an energy standpoint, was just incredible. And the Bearcats ended up defeating Central Florida 68-54, to outscoring them 42-25 in the second half. And there was a lot to like in the performance in the second half. Yeah, I'll take a look at a stat that sticks out to me with, with Jaron Cumberland is he had seven assists. He was distributing the ball well. Um, that's that's an important sign, and, and Jaron Cumberland as a point guard does something that other people don't necessarily do for us because he has an ability, and you're going to skewer me for saying this because of who he reminds me of from an NBA perspective, but way better from, from a standpoint of making three-point shots, Ben Simmons' ability to get to the hole. That is what... 
Jaron Cumberland reminds me of. He can take it, he can get into the paint, he can get to the basket, and he can put the ball up there. But when he does that, he he's, the lane's collapsing on him, and it's leaving people open on the perimeter for him to dish the ball out to. I, that's something that really stuck out to me this past game well, with, with putting him in the point guard position. His passing ability is... It's similar, honestly. I'm not going to roast you for that comparison because the passing ability that Jaron Cumberland has is way beyond any other player on this team at this point. Not to say that other players can't potentially get there in the future, but his ability to make two-hand cross-court passes, that disrupts the defense at a completely different level than swinging it around the perimeter. He looks for opportunities to go across the defense, really spread them out, and even if it's not the next that pass that's creating the shot, that's the pass that leads to the pass that leads to the easy bucket for the Bearcats. And he's been doing a great job breaking down defenses lately. We saw it in the second half of the Tulsa game, and it really carried over into this UCF game where um, he just his energy level is just is back, right? His his confidence, his swagger on the court is is back. And it's it's really been that way since conference play started. I'll just make a quick note here. Um, his offensive rating the last four games. 124, 105, 129, and 112. Prior to that this season, Jaron Cumberland had only had one game that exceeded 100, and that was against Drake. So if you see how, if we kind of break the season into two parts, which we always do, non-conference and conference, Jaron Cumberland in the conference play, it's sort of like, this is my league, this is my conference, I know I can, I could dominate every team here, I own all of you. That's how he's playing so far this, in this conference season. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick with the conference season, too. I know we're not done talking about UCF, but something that I've noticed, if I'm only looking at conference play, I'm taking non-conference schedule out of it, is Chris Vogt, should Chris Vogt be in consideration for conference player of the year? He's he's trending in a way where he could get consideration. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think with the impact that he's having, I think 100%, 100% he should be in that conversation, as long as we're only taking conference play into account. Well, he's, he's another great player to talk about. I mean, we, we were talking about Jaron Cumberland's impact on the game, particular in the, uh, particularly in the Central Florida game. But he, Chris Vogt, against Central Florida, actually had an offensive rating that was 86. It was his first time since the Ohio State game below 100. So if we look at Jaron Cumberland, who is incredibly inconsistent in non-conference play, starting to trend upward, Chris Vogt's just been steady Eddie throughout the entire season but steady at a very high level. Honestly, steady conference Eddie. conference teams are going to have to start building their game plan around keeping the ball out of Chris Vogt's hand, hands and scheming around him because the Bearcats, we've, we've mentioned John Brandon skewing away from the three-point shot and making it less important for this team, and that's a good thing given the quality of shooters we have. We're going to move in the direction of two-point finishing, getting the ball inside, working it inside, He's going to be the guy teams are focusing on, and when you get that type of attention, if your production warrants it, then you should probably be in consideration for player of the year in the conference. Yeah, uh, if we need to start the, the movement now, it, it should definitely have, have been started. Chris Vogt has been nothing short of, of fantastic. The abilities that he's shown on the court, finishing strong, you know, let's look at what he did at the beginning of the season where we were all kind of wondering if he could really catch a basketball because he, he seemed to be really unsure with his hands. He's had this huge explosive growth in terms of what he's accomplishing on the court to where all of a sudden he's getting more confidence with putting the basketball on the floor and then coming up incredibly strong, having two defenders around him and still finishing. He, he is looking incredible to the point to where growing further 
he could develop into what could potentially be an NF- NBA, you know, level center. Yeah, a, a bench role. It's possible. It depends on how how much more. Uh, There's a lot of ifs that go into that. It really depends on the, what the monster factory does for him over the off season, I imagine, because he doesn't he doesn't seem quite spry enough on the court at this point to be considered for the NBA. But like you said, I'm, he improved so much from one summer with the Bearcats that anything's in play at this point with that guy. I cannot believe what we see day in, day out from Chris Vogt on the court. He's top five in the country in effective field goal percentage. He doesn't miss shots. What I've noticed is he's Huge. so much he's so much bigger than every other player on the court that no matter how well they might be contesting or how physical get, they're getting with him, he seems completely oblivious to it. He finishes with the left or the right. Doesn't matter who's on him. I'm shooting right over the top of you, off the glass, in the bucket. He has been a, a godsend for the University of Cincinnati considering some of the losses we had in the offseason and what we were really expecting to have our rotation. Chris Vogt has definitely been the MVP of this team through the season so far. If I'm not mistaken, there's only one or two rotations that we have where Chris Vogt is not a part of it. So he, he is, which is funny because if I'm looking at Kempom, they actually have him listed as a role player. And I'm like, what? Chris Vogt's a role player? Uh, that Maybe the stats are saying that, but if the eyeball test saying he's a, he's a core part of this team, uh, Chris, Chris Vogt is 100% necessary. One, when you get the ball into his hands down low, you can almost guarantee points. Mm-hmm. You know, he's shooting at what a 70%. He's making 70% of his shots. That's huge. I think it's more than that. I don't, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but yeah, just what he's, he's doing is, is helping this team immensely. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see where we can go with him. And even if over the off season, you know, he's going to be a huge part of this team next year. If we're, we're looking that far ahead, he's probably going to be one of the centerpieces of this team. So he will actually need to have to take another jump next season if we expect to have the same kind of success we are expecting this year. Well, he will. I mean, no pun intended. He will be the centerpiece. And he, he probably is should be considered the centerpiece right now. You know, you mentioned so Ken corny. Palm. Ken Palm. I know. I'm all over it today. Steady Eddie. Uh, steady Eddie centerpiece. I'm here for all the dad jokes. But Chris Vogt <laughs> is classified in Ken Palm as a role player based on what his percentage of possessions used is, right? That's probably a yep. sign that the Bearcats need to continue focusing on getting him more and more involved in the offense. Because when a possession concludes with him getting a shot at the rim, there's a really high, high probability of us succeeding on that possession. So we need to find a way to continue emphasizing Chris Vogt, to continue making him a, a key cog in our offense going forward. We should also make mention of your boy, Trey Scott. Really solid. Trey, 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 Trey. How do you feel about Trey Scott's performance this week? Man, I just love I love Trey Scott. <laughs> Scott is definitely still one of my favorite players on this on this team. He he brings such an energy and an attitude to to the court. And look, he's starting to make shots. He's starting to I think play def- better defense. He is a rebounding machine. Uh, I think you know we've had the stat pointed out and we've mentioned it. This is the second time in a row. If we if he scores under ten, we lose the game. He is like a glue. You know, I'll joke and say he's the best player on the team, but in reality, we, you know, what he is is he's the glue. He's holding it together. He's just a, a major piece that that the offense can flow through. The guy who's getting the ball back for the offense, and and the energy he brings. He's, 
I don't know what the what the what the locker room has, but if I had to guess, he's probably one of the leaders in the in the clubhouse. You know, kind of setting the tone for every for everybody and everything that's going on. Um, well, John Brandon's alluded but, to him as a leader, right? Trey Scott was one of the first guys where he thought he he had him in the deep end. He he got the buy in from Trey Scott early to set the tone for the team, bringing that same energy to practice, game in, game out, practice in, practice out, and he's doing it in games. He's the junkyard dog of the Cincinnati Bearcats. He's He's rebounding, he's hustling, he's stealing the ball. He's got the highest steal rate in the American Athletic Conference right now. He's been incredibly disruptive for the team. And so in terms of doing everything that's not flashy, everything that maybe doesn't go on SportsCenter except for huge dunks on feeds from Jaron Cumberland in that Tulsa game, he's he seems like he's really figured out what his role is on this team and finally embracing it to its fullest level. So are you, are you ready for this? When Trey Scott scores a double-double, we never lose. <laughs> it's that easy. It's that it's easy. It's that easy. Uh, but, no, he's had two back-to-back double-doubles. Uh, two, two back-to-back double-doubles. He's, he, no one I don't think he's had. I don't think he's been out-rebounded by anybody this season. Uh, that's, that's, that's huge, and that's well, a guy that you need. You mentioned the points per game. Uh, regarding Trey Scott when he scores, you know, 11 points per game, Bearcats are undefeated when we score, when he's not engaged on the offense, we don't win. And the good sign is that over the last two games, he's just been very aggressive early in the game, coming out from the get-go saying, I'm going to get on the, on the board here. Because it's not like Trey Scott, it, it's critical for him to get a certain number of points. I think what it's more of a, it's more of a sign that Trey Scott's fully bought in and engaged and involved on the offensive end. Because when he gets a couple of buckets to drop, that's when you see him get on the offensive boards. That's when you see him making huge blocks on the defensive end. So it, I think it is important that point. game in, game out, just getting him on the board early to get that energy level up and to get him fully engaged into that that junkyard dog role for the Bearcats. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. It's, it's, that en- it's more the energy he's bringing when he's playing well. And that, that comes out. And, and translates to other guys picking their game up as well. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. You know, I wish at the beginning of the season the bet we would have done would have been who would be more likely to average a double-double over the course of the season because Trey Scott, he's not quite there on the points yet, but he is very close to being able to, to say he's averaging a double-double. Uh, I believe he is getting also from conference play, just looking at conference play, he's actually uh, right on the verge with like the, I think he's for conference play he's at like 11 points a game or something uh, but he has almost 10 rebounds a game well our beer mile guys, update guys. Hummer Hummer's definitely going to be running a beer mile this year folks uh, Trey Scott right now for the 2018 sorry for the 2019 yeah, yeah, yeah. 2020 season he's averaging 8.8 points per game meanwhile Keith Williams is at 12, 12.4 points per game uh, it's going to be tough for you to catch catch me on this one but i think even you'll acknowledge it's for the be- it's for the betterment of the uc program and the uc team thank you it's for your- better for everybody's entertainment level too let's face it i'm gonna i'm way more qualified to run this beer mile <laughs> <laughs> who else should we talk about from this week Hummer? who really who really jumped out to you mama do mama do diara actually everybody I, I think we could go through the whole roster and say that almost everybody stuck out in a certain way uh 
minus a few I, pieces of players who only who only played a few minutes. Um, well, I, that's but what's Mamadou interesting. Diara, yeah. Let's talk about Mamadou first. So Mamadou Diara is still playing what what would be considered a definitely a a role play, in a limited role play at that. He's he's getting ten, you know, nine, ten, eleven minutes a game. So it's nothing crazy, but when he's on the court, he is bringing like Trey Scott, but he almost like an insane level of energy to the court. He's bringing an insane level of, of wanting to crash the boards. He's being super aggressive, playing pretty much, I would say, good defense. There's at times where I think he's getting a little over ambitious, if you would, or where he just creates these situations where he's fouling for for no reason in, in the middle of like a, for instance, there was a, a really tough shot. I believe it was yesterday. Players underneath underneath the basket for a really challenging shot. Even without getting fouled, it's a challenging shot just from the position that the player had, and he fouled him. When it probably would have just been better to let that player attempt to make that shot contested and then and then be looking more for a rebound instead of just, just hacking a guy. And I think he, he, is, he is doing that a, a little too much, but he's improving, and that's a good thing for us because we're going to need depth going into the in the later on in, in the more challenging parts of the season, particularly when we get to the conference tournament. You know, when we're starting to play games back to back, day after day, you know, we're going to need more depth. And so, seeing a guy like Mamadou improve, albeit slightly, is better. Because when we were talking about him before, we're talking about him not we're not even wanting to be on the court. We're scared when he's on the court. It's a liability when he's on the court. I thought he was unplayable. Now, I thought okay. he was unplayable early in the season. I just thought he could, you couldn't yeah. even put this guy on the court. And he is now the second. He's the ne- the next big man off the bench uh, behind Chris Vogt. He's taken Jason Rolla's role, which is quite surprising to me, given how effective Jason Rolla has been at, at certain times in the season. But even if you look at the box score from the Tulsa game and Central Florida game, Mamadou's getting more minutes. And it seems like what Brandon appreciates from Mamadou is exactly what you touched on. High energy on defense. And he is significantly more athletic. And so maybe the style of defense we're playing, where we do want to press more, we do want to get up in the opponent more, well, Mamadou is going to be a better candidate for doing that than Jay Sarola. Jay Sarola is going to protect the paint better. He's a bigger body. I think he's a better rebounder. He's definitely a better passer on the offensive end. But in terms of defending with, with energy, moving your feet, being on the perimeter, switching, Mamadou is definitely more effective at that. It's, it's good to see him become a playable option. He definitely has ways to go in terms of being uh, trustworthy for long stretches. But in, in the role he's currently playing, he can be and has been quite effective for the Bearcats, and it's it's a, it's been a long time coming, and I'm happy for Mamadou. Yeah, definitely. It's better to see him doing well, obviously. Well, it's better to see every player doing well. So that leads us to which one do we want to start with here? You mentioned Micah. Let's a- talk about Micah because I think Micah's seeing his first little freshman dip this season. He's had a, a tough stretch with foul trouble. He struggled to stay on the court. Definitely some questionable officiating mixed in there, but... It's, it seemed to have disrupted his ability to to really get involved in these games. Yeah. I, like you just said, you mentioned it. We're talking about trends here. And the trend on Micah Adams-Woods is is trending down at the moment. He's still handling the ball well. He's not turning it over at a, at a high rate. I think he's maybe having one turnover a game. But on the flip side of the coin, Chris McNeil is also handling the ball well, not turning it over as much. Chris McNeil, I think, might be playing a little bit better defense at the moment than Micah Adams-Woods. Uh, Micah Adams-Woods, is, he's, he's also not taking a lot of shots like he has in the past. He's not making a lot of shots like he has in the past. 
you know, so there, there's a lot of things that, but you mentioned it, he's a freshman. This is going to happen to freshmen. You're not always going to be consistent and it's okay because this is your year of really growth. Most of the time you don't have a freshman who is not already being painted as, as the next LeBron James going to come in and average 20 points, 18 points, 20 points a game, their freshman year and, and come out and do that every night. That's that's not that's not what they're going to do when you're a four year player. And that's right. OK, because he's going to grow into being that better player. Yeah. And the, the Tulsa game was really foul trouble driven. He only got 16 minutes in that game. He couldn't stay on the court, had very little impact overall, but we won by 30. So everyone's able to move on without really thinking about it too much against Central Florida. We we he only actually had one foul in the game, had five assists. Another really good sign. It's it's really the difference between him and Chris McNeil is that Micah Adams Woods has a better feel for getting in the lane and creating for big men, for kicking out to open shooters, just for setting up teammates. He's a far superior player when it comes to offensive creativity. Um, but he has he has tailed off a little bit here in the scoring column. And what John Brandon has started to do at the most critical moments of Bearcat games is he's going with Jaron Cumberland as the point guard. He's taking Chris McNeil and Micah Adams-Woods off the court, bringing in Javen Cumberland as that second guard, and rolling with a lineup of Jaron Cumberland, Keith Williams, Javen Cumberland, Chris Vogt, and Trey Scott. And that lineup has been bludgeoning teams over the, over the last few games. So it's, it's a little bit of creativity from Brandon. It's a little bit of a freshman plateau for Micah Adams-Woods. But all in all, I still love the role that, that where we've settled with Micah, where we've settled with McNeil. I think Micah in that 25 to 30 minutes per game, Chris McNeil in that 10 to 15 minutes per game, I think it's been a great balance for the Bearcats recently. Yeah, it gets it gets some fresh legs into the game. Mike Adams, with as you mentioned, being more creative on the offensive end helps us when he's in the game because his minutes are producing points where Chris McNeil isn't necessarily translating in the points. But at this point, I'd say McNeil is the better of the two defensively. So I think you're seeing when we want a defensive a defensive minded uh, lineup, that's when we're bringing in McNeil with the combination of Mamadou and Jay Sirola, because those three, are, I think, are better than their counterparts on, on the defensive side of the glass. Oh, they wreak um, havoc. They wreak havoc out there. Every yeah. time McNeil comes in late in the game in the second half, he, he seems to know, I'm coming in the game to bother people on the defensive end. I'm going to help off ball. I'm get, my hands are going to be all over you. I'm, I'm probably going to hack a little bit, but I'm going to come in here and disrupt and try and create turnovers to give the Bearcats a boost. And if that's what Chris McNeil's role is, we're all better for it. Honestly, like that, that's a way I'm going to come in here and I'm going to whisper in your ear. (laughs) I'm going to come up to you and just right in your ear. (laughs) And 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 Stevenson, let's make mention of it. Chris McNeil knocked down a three point shot against Central Florida. Can we get a can we get a round of applause? It was beautiful, you know, and that's another thing with Chris McNeil. He wasn't taking shots. For a while, he started taking shots again the last couple games. He's he's Now he's not making them at a high clip, but he's also not taking them at a high clip. So I still think technically he's shooting like 30%. Or he shot 50% the last game. <laughs> no, 30, 30, he's right. yeah, 33%. He, he's, yeah, he's an abomination from, from a shooting perspective. He, he also in the same game shot a three-pointer from the top of the key that hit the backboard about halfway up. So he's... He's certainly not Mr. Reliable from a shooting perspective, but I think, uh, you know, there's going to be a time and a place for him to let it loose. And in this game, I thought his shot selection was appropriate. 
I was happy to see him knock one down. So, Hummer, after these two games, after the Tulsa game, after the UCF game, Cincinnati now sits at 42 in Ken Palm. We have a top 60 offense. We have a top 50 defense. And in the net rankings, which is what the selection committee really leans on now, no more RPI, it's all about the net rankings, we're currently up to number 65, about a 10, a 10 standing jump, uh, a jump of about 10 places in the standings. Memphis, for context and for perspective, Memphis is 22nd in the net rankings. <laughs> 65. This is the definition of a bubble team. <laughs> <laughs> a bubble team, but rising. You look at our trajectory and we're rising. The team is playing really, really well. We seem to have found what our identity is. We're acknowledging the fact that we're not going to be a great offensive team. Brandon made a comment in his post game about since we're not a a good shooting team, I want us to be a great offensive rebounding team. And it seems like we're crashing the board harder on that, on the glass, on the offensive end. And that should lead to those extra, extra shooting opportunities. And like you mentioned earlier, getting an offensive rebound, that is the best opportunity to hit a three point shot. And Javen Cumberland has been feeding on those opportunities recently. Something else I'll point out too, you know, with, with Brandon and absolutely something that, that I, I admire and love that Brandon's doing. He also made the comment of, of recognizing who this team is, what this team is and what it's capable of or when it plays better in that it's not necessarily playing better in the style of offense that he a hundred percent wanted to drill into the guys at the beginning of the season, but he wasn't going to give up on a system right away. But now that we're into the season, he's learning his guys. He's knowing who he can trust, who he can feel, how they play the game. He's more willing to run, like you mentioned, bringing Jaron Cumberland in to play point, knowing that Jaron Cumberland's strength is creating and being creative off the dribble. And he's, he's you know, using Jaron's strength, and it's bringing the whole team up as a whole over the last few games when he's, when he's doing that. So it's really nice to see Brandon being a coach who can adjust his style and what he's willing to play and not just saying it's my way or the highway. I really, really enjoy, enjoy that. Cause to me, that's, that's saying that we have a coach on our hands that is, dare I say it, <laughs> uh, you know, Brad Stevens, coach K genius level. He's going to be amazing. Um, as we, as we develop this relationship with our coach over the next, hopefully two decades, because, you know, if he's on this direction, he might be, fu- uh, following his, his, uh, his idol or his his mentor into the NBA one day. <laughs> I just love Brandon. My eyebrows. I'm ta- my eyebrows are I'm gone. It now. My eyebrows are gone. I no longer have any take. hair on my face. My head, my already bald head, is now hairless. I think I as said well. Brandon. I said Brandon. I think after the first time we did a podcast about hiring him, that that he's gonna be he's gonna be a great coach like that. And so I'll take that hot take it took, and I'll take it with me. And when it happens 10 years from now, it took one <laughs> winning streak in conference play for Hummer to, for Hummer to make, for Hummer to make Brandon, Brandon in the NBA, Brad Stevens, coach K in the NBA. He's taking, he's now taking an NBA job. He's the new coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers after John Beeline con- okay. called all his players thugs. Congratulations, Brandon. Right. Hey, I'll take that hot take. I'll own it. All right. When you take it early and when stuff pans out, that's when you're a genius. If you take it early and you lose, no one cares. You made it 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, you can't give up your secrets. 
But we did mention that Memphis is currently 22nd in net rankings. We're sitting at 65. And Memphis is who is the team that we're playing next on the schedule. On uh, January 16th, Cincinnati travels down to Memphis to face off with the probably the, the favorite or co-favorite in conference play. I'd say at this point, Wichita State is probably favored to win the conference. But Memphis is still a force to be reckoned with. They're, they're currently on a two-game losing streak. They dropped a game to Georgia. They dropped a game to Wichita State. Two, two really tough matchups. Uh, but after this podcast record, they're actually going to play uh, South Florida. I expect they'll get back on the winning train there. But some interesting tidbits about Memphis and things to consider. Yeah, as we I, head I, into I don't that know matchup. if I'm done with this John Brandon thing. I, I, don't, I think I need you to tell me why not. <laughs> why John Brandon's not an NBA I can't, coach? I can't drop it. I can't drop it. No, like, well, like, the we Bearcats are sitting off, at 10 and 6 direct. right now, Hummer. The Bearcats are sitting 10 at 10 six. and 6. There's, there's no evidence, right? I'm not even going to defend this. I'm not defending this. You seared my eyebrows off. I'm currently burnt to a crisp. I'm in pain. I'm toweling down. I have cool, warm cloths all over my body trying to recover from what you just threw out there on the podcast. John Brandon is not Brad Stevens at this point. We're not calling him Coach K off a two-game winning streak in the American Athletic Conference. I said could be. Could be. Not is. Are you ready to get to Memphis? Are you ready to are you ready to talk about Memphis? Because look, do you know what do you know what Duke's first season was with with Coach K? It was an NIT appearance going seventeen and thirteen. He didn't make it to the NCAA tournament till his third season with Duke. The only thing I'm saying is with Coach Brandon, compared to what maybe other coaches we've had in the past, well, recent past, is He's willing to change. He's willing to base off what his player, his players he's had change. And that's something that it, what I see a good coach does and a bad coach right. doesn't. Now, I agree you with know? you there, right? Like the style of basketball that Mick Cronin coaches and even Bob, Huggin co- Bob Huggins coaches to an extent, it's, very, it's tailored to college basketball. It's not a style of basketball or a style of coaching that would ever translate to the NBA. Whereas, you know, even based on our interview with Damar Johnson – talking to Leonard Stokes, the style of play, the the way he carries himself. Yeah, sure. John Brandon, in theory, could have the personality, I suppose, to be that type of coach. But but it's way early. You heard it. You it's heard it, way guys. early. You heard it. You heard him say it. It's way early. <laughs> no, I'm talking about... It's all right. It's all right. All I'm he saying has is the personality. That's the a Bearcats good way to went put on it. a two-game he winning streak, and you're putting Brennan in the Hall of Fame. That's what just happened. We beat I'm Tulsa. Okay with it. We beat Tulsa in Central Florida, and you just put John Brennan in the coaching Hall of Fame. I'm giving my future outlook. I'm giving the five-year forecast. You know, I'm, I'm seeing the future of what's going to happen with this Bearcat squad and what Brandon's going to bring to the table. And basically, I'm buying every single thing that he's selling. Every word, I'm buying it, and that, that's what I'm doing, and I'm okay with that. I'm and look, happy for you. When it I'm happens, when he's great, when we go to a Final Four, I'm going to come back and be like, Coomer, do you remember when we started and we were doing episode 28, and I said John Brannon was a future Bearcat Hall of Fame co- coach? And you're Hang on like, a second. Oh, I Hang can't on a believe second. it. I'm not doubting his ability to be a successful coach at Cincinnati. What I'm not doing after beating Tulsa and Central Florida is comparing him to Brad Stevens, Coach K, and give, making him a candidate for the next open NBA job. That's what I'm not doing. I didn't say next open NBA job. I said in the future an NBA job. 
Can we move He's, on I to Memphis? Can we move on to Memphis, please? I don't know Memphis, if we can. Please? I don't know if I can move I'm talking on about this. Memphis. Memphis, folks, has the best two-point defense in the country. They hold teams to 38% shooting in the paint. And what did we just get done talking about with the Bearcats? We've, we're moving away from three-point shots, and we thrive in the paint. We have Chris Vogt, a top-five inside finisher in the country. So what we're going to have on Thursday, on the 16th against Memphis— is a is an absolute battle for the two point for the lane with Precious Achua. They have really good inside big bodies to defend guys like Chris Vote. It's going to be a true test for him going up against NBA level talent, NBA level athletes. Can he keep up that level of production and that type of finishing against really big, really athletic, well coached talent? I'm just going to throw this out there that Kempom has a majority contributor of Memphis to be James Wiseman. Yeah, well, that's just probably based on the minutes, I suppose. But Kempom, you need to update that. <laughs> For, yeah, can you imagine? We, we used to be going into this game facing James, James Wiseman and Precious Achua. Now we just have to face one of them. But he is an absolute monster. If there's someone who's challenging Trey Scott in terms of defensive rebounding, it is Achua. Um, the Bearcats are, are have... Definitely have their work cut out for them against Memphis. Some things that might play into our favor. Memphis has an even higher turnover percentage than the, Bear, than the Bearcats. So if you think about it from oh, our wow. perspective, how frustrated we've been with turnovers this season, Memphis turns it over even more. So this is going to be a real slugfest. Both teams are thriving defensively. Neither offense is really clicking at this point. Memphis is even worse from the three-point line than the Bearcats are. Uh, they rely on the three-point shot even less. So it really is going to come down to who's going to win the boards, who's going to get the most rebounds, who's going to defend the paint the best, because it's going to be two teams ramming it down each other's throats as they try and dunk on each other, get layups, get easy buckets, draw fouls, and uh, with maybe some a good amount of turnovers mixed in there. Well, I think it's going to rely more on, more on that, too. It's going to rely on Brandon's ability to... <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I think it's really going to rely a lot on the inside-out game and what and what we can get. We we really need to see what we saw in the second half these last two games, where when we're getting the ball in the paint and it's contested, but there's someone open out on the wing, you need to get the you need to kick the ball out. If you see someone open on the other side of the of the arc, you need to you need to you need to make that pass. So I think a lot of this is going to come down to is Jaron Cumberland going to be. Conference Player of the Year, Jaron Cumberland, and that's doesn't Conference Player of the Year in my mind for Jaron doesn't mean scoring 22 points every single game. It means having seven assists. It means scoring a few points, but it means it just means creating opportunity. And so we're gonna need we're gonna need it like that. We're gonna need I think we're gonna need Micah Adams Woods to have a better better game than what he's had the last few, where he's also producing, uh, creating shots for guys, but also making some of his own. Well, Memphis forces we a lot of turnovers, need, too. So if you, if you think yeah. about Jaron Cumberland, Micah Adams-Woods, the primary ball handlers are going to really have to be on their game securing the ball. We don't want to throw the ball all over the court. You never win road games like this if you're turning it over consistently. So it's going to take a really exceptional performance from the Bearcats. I hope we can keep you know replicating the second-half performances of Tulsa and Central Florida. But it's going to need to be a full 40 minutes. We still aren't seeing full 40 minutes performances out of the Bearcats I think against Memphis, we're gonna need we're gonna need a really high level, high sustained basketball to pull off the upset on their court. 
Yeah, I think one of the other things, too, that we're, we're overlooking is Jaron Cumberland has turned the ball over quite a bit this season. So we're going to need him to protect the ball a little more uh, or better than what he has. Because after that, I mean, Chris McNeil and, and both Mike Adams was do, do an exceptional job at, for the most part of, of taking care of the basketball, not turning it over. We see guys like Chris Vogt, which I look at Chris Vogt's turnovers when you're in the pain as, uh, you know, I, I think when you're when you're down low like that, I don't really want to count that as a, you know, it's a stat on the sheet, but I don't look at it as as hard as I would say Jaron Cumberland turning the ball in the open, turning it over in the open court. A lot of him, or his turning come, it over. they usually come from offensive fouls though too. You know, fighting for position, and I'm not as upset when he gets that kind of foul. Yeah, uh, that's why I don't, that's why I wanted to tell you I'm throwing that out. Yeah, I don't mind throwing that particular stat out because the guys I'm looking at are the guys who are handling the basketball, the guys who are supposed to be having assists, creating it over. Like Trey Scott turning the ball over is is on another another person we can't see. He generally doesn't do it that much because he's not handling the handling the ball in that fashion as much. But yeah, that's I think that's going to be a huge key is, is taking care of the basketball a little more, knowing that that I don't want to see another Iowa game where we we have 20 they have 22 turnovers but then we have 17 <laughs> yeah it's going to take a, a top-notch performance from the bearcats i hope they're up for it uh, because if they win this game we're right back in the con- in the in the conversation in terms of an at-large bid for the tournament and uh, all past transgressions with regard to colgate with regard to bowling green and tulane are forgiven it's worth noting hummer before we move on to talk about uh the bearcat we're dedicating this podcast to houston Dropped the game at Tulsa. Tulane went on the road and beat Temple. And East Carolina just beat SMU. So for Bearcat fans who are definitely all freaked out and, and butthurt over the, the Tulane loss, chill out. Calm down. There's a lot of season left. There's a lot of games, a lot of opportunities to get big wins. And this team is playing better, much better than we were early in the season. So things keep trending in the way they are. This team's going to be fine, and this team's going to see the tournament. And John Brandon will start getting comparison to national coaches. We'll see. Before we head out, head hey, out for, you know before, what? If we get to have that conversation, if we get to have that conversation at the end of the season, that's we all want that. So it's okay. We can just embrace it. Nobody's having that conversation with you right now, Hummer. I do want to make sure we make mention of the fact that we, down we dropped two really good podcasts last week. Uh, one featured an interview with Ryan James from Gopher Illustrated up in Minnesota. He, he provided a ton of great insight into Gabe and Mason Madsen. If you haven't yet, go back, check that podcast out. And then after that, we dropped the podcast, a one-hour interview with Leonard Stokes. He was incredibly candid. Lots of great tidbits about the Huggins era. About about his feelings about Brandon, about uh, a variety his of love, topics. His love of Brandon. His love of Brandon. You know, there's a lot of excitement from him. With Not where as the, strong as mine. With where the program is heading. Um, as always, find us on Twitter at Cincy Slangin. Shoot us an email, CincySlangin at gmail.com. And please go to go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five star review, share some comments about what you enjoy about the podcast. In the meantime, Hummer. It is time to dedicate this podcast to a former Bearcat. Who we got today? Well, we probably we've probably already done this, and we're not going to lie. We don't really keep track of who we dedicate these to. We probably should. Uh, but in that interview with Leonard Stokes, we had a really great conversation on a Bearcat legend, an absolute legend. 
He in in Leonard's words, a guy was just unstoppable. Never saw a guy who could score the way this guy did. It's amazing that his number is not in the Raptors, even though from our research, no one has had his number since he has had that number. That number is number 22. This player is Steve Logan, the legend, number two all-time scorer, two-time national AP, National Player of the Year, Conference Player of the Year, the leader in assists, and the all-time or second in assist in the leader in free throw percentage. This guy was an absolute stud and 100% deserves to have his jersey lifted into the rafters of Fifth Third Arena. We need to get on that, everybody. Hashtag retire22. Hummer, there's not much I can add to that. That was perfect. I'm cool. I think we have dedicated a podcast to Steve Logan in the past. But hey, he's number 22. We'll do it two times. Steve Logan, this podcast is for you. Cheers.